Good morning. First of all, I should probably say apologies to anyone called Dave, because uh, apparently Dave doesn't pay for the next round, but uh, if your name is Dave and that's not true, we're not talking about you, obviously. My name's Rob. I'm one of the ministers here. It is my pleasure to welcome you today. I stare out on a sea of faces, and I know some of you are watching online. It's great to have you with us as we continue our series, When Pigs Fly, about miracles. And we're going to be talking about miraculous healing today. I'd like to start with a story of a different minister, a minister in America by the name of Jack Hayford. Uh, he served gone for many years in the United States, and he tells a story of how kind of all of this began. This is what he says. He says, when I was one year old, I was supposed to die. When I was born, there was something wrong with my neck that the doctors couldn't fix, and it was inevitable that with the passage of time, the condition would eventually twist my neck and I would die. The doctor knew there was nothing he could do to change it. Five months, three times a week, my mother took me for treatments to temporarily relieve my pain, but the doctor was so sure that there wasn't anything that could be done to correct it, he only charged my folks for six treatments, even though he administered somewhere between 50 and 60. My parents didn't know the Lord, my mother's cousin didn't know the Lord either, but she'd heard about this church called Foursquare Church in Long Beach, California, and she'd heard that at that church, Jesus healed people. And she wrote this down, she wrote down what was wrong with me, and she took this note to the church. There she found someone and asked, there's this little baby that's dying, and I brought this note, will you pray for this baby? The people said, we will. They brought it into the Wednesday night prayer meeting of that church. The next day, my parents began to notice that things had changed. My mother's cousin had told her that she'd taken a prayer request over to the church. Within the next few days, the doctor said, this baby is well. There's nothing wrong with him. And not only did the doctor declare me well, he refused to take the money from my parents for the few payments he was going to charge because he said, I had nothing to do with the healing of this baby. This has to be something God did. I tell the story for two reasons. Not only because I know that it's in the Bible that Jesus healed during his ministry and that he's the same today as he ever was, I know that I would not be alive and I wouldn't be able to talk about Jesus to other people today if he hadn't healed me when I was a baby. It's quite a story, isn't it? Maybe the idea of experiencing a miraculous healing is about as likely to you as seeing a pig fly. If so, I get it. You know, maybe some of you are experiencing ongoing illnesses that just don't seem to ever go away. Maybe you've lost someone to an illness and, and you're still grieving their loss. Maybe you struggle to believe because you prayed for healing and it didn't happen. And maybe you've lost a loved one to a terminal disease and you're asking the question, why do we even talk about healing? Clearly that's something maybe that happened once but doesn't happen anymore. If that's you, I just want to just acknowledge your pain this morning. I want to say to you that I, I get it. As a pastor, I've walked with enough people to know that if I was to say something glib or simplistic about healing, somebody's likely to get hurt in that process because we face struggles in this life that sometimes just don't seem fair. And I just want to say I get that 100%. In fact, you might be surprised to know that I've never seen someone get healed even though I've prayed for thousands of people. And I want to be really honest with you and tell you, I struggle with that. In fact, when I pray for people's healing, there's probably no greater amount of faith that I have to exercise than those moments because I haven't personally seen someone get healed when I pray for them. It's not that I don't believe it's possible, because I do. 
And I've heard all kinds of stories like the one I read to you today of people who have been healed. And they come from reliable people, reliable accounts. I believe it's possible. I just haven't seen it. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you believe it's possible, but you've just never seen it. And that makes it hard to pray for someone in faith, believing that they could be healed when you know that maybe they might not be healed. It's hard to reconcile that, you know, that sometimes God is able to heal people, but he doesn't always seem to do that. That's difficult for us to reconcile. It kind of goes against what we think about God. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read verses in the Bible, and we sometimes think that they suggest that everybody who gets prayed for should be healed. There's a verse that sometimes I've heard people quoting. It comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It's part of a prophecy about Jesus, and it says, By his wounds we are healed. Some people have claimed that to be a kind of a promise, that if you just believe hard enough in Jesus, you'll be healed. Maybe you've heard a different preacher say that. Maybe you've heard someone tell you that if you're not healed, it's because you lack faith or it's because you're hiding some kind of sin in your life. If you've heard that, I just want to tell you I'm not one of those preachers, so please stay tuned. I'm not that guy. I don't believe that. I don't think that's right. I think healing is more complicated than that. I think life is more complicated than that. So whatever your experience of healing or the lack of experience of healing, I want you to stay tuned today because I'm going to explore a story that... I think helps us as we process what is possible and yet also process the pain that sometimes comes with maybe some disappointment in that. I want us to look at a story in the Bible that I think might actually be helpful to you, whatever your experience is. It's been helpful to me even as I've been preparing it. It's reminded me of what faith really is and what I believe about Jesus and about healing and about his, his plans for my good. It's a story that helps me to cling to faith in God for three reasons, I think, because it's a God whose priorities for us right now might often be different to our own priorities. And I think just acknowledging and accepting that is helpful. It's also a story that tells us that God's potential to heal does not always equate to a promise to heal. And I think that's important for us to kind of come to terms with. But it's also a story that tells us that God's power and his authority to heal have been displayed and witnessed by reliable people. And so it's okay to still believe in the power of God to heal people. I'd like us to look at the story of God's miraculous healing of a paralyzed man. It's found in the New Testament part of the Bible, in the book of Mark, chapter 2. And Mark is one of the early followers of Jesus. Uh, he went around building churches in the New Testament with all other uh, groups of people, disciples of Jesus who were called apostles. They went and they built churches and they preached about the hope of Jesus. And he's one of those guys. And he records the life, the life stories and the ministry of Jesus in his gospel, his good news about Jesus, uh, found in Mark chapter 2. This is what he starts off by saying. He says, a few, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. I want to just stop here for a moment and just point out that in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel before this, we're told that Jesus has just previously been in Capernaum, and while he was in Capernaum, he healed loads of people. So much so that the word spread and loads of loads of other people kept pitching up and the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. And while he was there, he actually said to his disciples, he suggested to them that they go somewhere else. They go to a different town so that he could preach there because that's why he came. Take note of that. 
So upon his return to Capernaum, this chapter that we're reading now, people immediately hear he's back. The word gets around. That guy who was healing people is back. And loads more people flock to him to try and find healing. All kinds of people. And they surround this house where he is teaching and he's, he's preaching the word to them. So much so that anybody who comes late can't get to him because there's so many people that they have no real way of getting through the crowd. But this is... This is when something quite interesting happens in the story. We read it in in verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What an unexpected thing to say when quite clearly people have been brought to him for healing. They're coming for healing, and he starts talking about forgiveness of sins. That's kind of a weird thing. You might not expect that. Hold on to that thought. Because he says this, Mark tells us, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I wonder if you've ever seen anything like that. Have you ever witnessed a miracle? I take great comfort in these words, because like I said to you, I haven't actually seen it with my own eyes. And here's a whole bunch of people who pitched up for a healing service, and they were amazed that it happened because they'd never seen it before. So I kind of feel like I'm in good company. This, this is good. I'm not the only one that kind of gets amazed by this stuff. Um, I, I get amazed by this story. I get amazed by the faith of these friends who bring their paralyzed, paralyzed friend. And when they can't get to Jesus, they commit what is the most amazing act of vandalism I've heard of in a long time. They literally dug through someone's roof. You know, in the Middle East, there was kind of a mixture of straw and mud that they put together to build roofs. Well, they dug through it. They literally dug through someone's roof. I don't know how you'd feel about that if you were hosting Jesus and suddenly there was a big hole appearing and stuff falling out. And then this mat comes down and you're like, seriously? It took me hours to build this house. What are you doing? But anyway, that's a lot of faith. They had a lot of faith to come to Jesus and go, Here's the issue. Our paralyzed friend needs healing. That is what they came to. Maybe, maybe people who flocked around were like not surprised because that's why they'd all come. They'd all come to see Jesus heal someone. That's the story. That's the setup, right? But that's not what Jesus seems to be doing. He just keeps preaching to people. And they're all waiting for him to heal someone and he keeps preaching. What is he on about? It's kind of a strange story. It's a story of God doing things that are most unexpected, if we're honest. You don't expect him to be preaching when he should be healing. You don't expect him to be, you know, forgiving sins of someone who gets lowered through the roof to be healed. You don't expect people to dig a hole in someone's roof. It's a weird story. 
But that's why I like it. It's an honest story about an event that happened that people were like, what on earth is going on? There was a lot to be amazed about in this story. I, I just think it's such a gigantic act of faith. These four men bringing their friend to Jesus and lowering him through the roof. But you know what really strikes me? Is that the thing that they brought him to Jesus for is not the thing that Jesus seems to prioritize. It's not the thing he does first. Does that ever surprise you that the thing that you think God should do the most isn't the thing that he seems to prioritize? Sometimes that's weird, but we have to take that in. Sometimes God has a different set of priorities to us. And we certainly see it in the story. Jesus saw their faith and he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. That was his priority. The Pharisees get really hacked off about this. They start saying, you're blaspheming because no one can forgive sins but God. But I think sometimes when we read this story, that's not the thing that catches us. That's not the thing that makes us angry. The thing that might make us angry is the fact that he didn't just heal the guy. Because clearly that's what he pitched up for, right? That's what everyone expects in the story. That's why they came to Capernaum. So how do we process the fact that God sometimes doesn't do what we expect? Sometimes he doesn't heal the person because he's doing something else. How do we even begin to process that? Well, I hope the story will help you and I to do just that. See, I sometimes struggle to accept that God has different priorities to me. I think I have some pretty good ideas about what God should be doing, right? I think if God is good, we naturally expect him to want to take away our suffering and to do it now because that's what we think a good God should do. But I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe we expect things from God that are smaller than the things that he wants for us. Maybe the things he's concerned about for us are bigger than our concerns that we bring to him. And that's not to make light of those concerns. They're big concerns. But I think God has a heart for more than you might expect from him. You know, G Jesus clearly had the authority to heal this man. He's been doing it. Everywhere he goes, he's causing crowds of people who are coming to see people get healed. Because it happens. He, he, he heals people. And yet, rather than healing people at every possible opportunity, he prioritizes preaching. In fact, the last time he was in Capernaum, he left Capernaum so he could go somewhere else and preach because he says, that's why I came. Why? Why is preaching more important to Jesus? Well, I want to suggest to you, it's because his message was not like anybody else's. That he had a message of hope that was so much bigger and so much more important than anything anyone could have expected or asked for, that he saw that as the priority. You know, you might read the story and think maybe Jesus didn't care about this paralyzed guy's pain. Maybe he was, you know, he was insensitive when they lowered him through the roof and he was like, let's talk about sin for a minute. I mean, it feels insensitive until you realize why Jesus is talking about sin. Until you recognize what he really wants to do for this man and for every single one of us. You see, I think he was really concerned. More concerned than we usually are for the people that we pray for healing for. Because he was concerned that he wanted to bring about a permanent solution. You know, one of the things that strikes me about miraculous healing, as incredible as it is, is that people get healed and those same people then go on to die later, right? We all die. One in one people die. 
So whatever miraculous experience you have with healing, in this life, it's temporary. People still die. And when they die, there's no more healing to be had. Or is there? See, Jesus had a different priority. Jesus came preaching. And he was preaching about a coming kingdom, the kingdom of God. A kingdom where there would be no more mourning or crying or sickness or death. A kingdom that could only be entered into by people who were in a right relationship with God. He came preaching to people about how to get right with God because all of us have this problem within us that the Bible calls sin. What is sin? Sin is essentially a selfishness within us that chooses our own good over the good of other people or over God's will. And we all do it from time to time. We know, if you're honest with yourself, you know that sometimes you make really bad decisions that are focused on you and you don't think about other people first and they affect other people. We all do it. No one is perfect. It's called sin and it's a major problem within us. And it is the thing that according to the story that is told to us in the Bible has broken our relationship with God. We do not relate well to God by ourselves because of our sin, because of our selfish choices. We are no longer like God in our nature. And Jesus came to deal with that problem. He came to reconcile us to God, to restore us to God, to remove that sin problem that caused so many problems. And this is really important because we live in a world that has bacteria in it, that has viruses in it, that has poison and danger in it. There are so many things in this world that can kill us and will eventually kill us. And the Bible has a story in it right at the beginning about where those problems came from. And it starts with the problem of sin. You may have heard of Adam and Eve. Even if you're not a regular church, you've probably heard of who Adam and Eve are, the first two humans on the planet. And maybe you think it's a really weird story. Maybe you think it's a fairy story. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, you really don't know how to interpret it. Is it meant to be taken literally? Is it a metaphor? What on earth is it trying to tell us? I just want to tell you, that's okay. You can have different views on that particular issue. But Genesis is trying to tell us something really important. It is trying to tell us that as people, we have a broken relationship with God because of the things that we do. And that problem is not something that just goes away. In fact, it's a state of our heart. It's a problem within us, a sickness within us that causes us to default to doing those things from time to time that separate us from God. And the story of Genesis says that God will not let that go on forever. If you know the story, you'll know. And if you don't know, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the cat out the bag and tell you what it's about. You can read it later. Basically, Adam and Eve sin, they mess up. And because they are now in this place where their hearts are corrupted, their hearts are not quite right with God, God says they can't live forever like this. Because God doesn't want you to live forever in a broken relationship with him, with a messed up heart that sometimes chooses selfishness. Because that's one of the reasons why there is so much suffering in the world. Not all of the suffering in the world is caused by that, but a lot of it is. It's caused by selfish choices that affect other people. And he wants to deal with that. And so in the Garden of Eden, in this story, we see that he puts an angel to guard the tree of life, meaning that you cannot live forever in that state. We see in the book of Genesis, death is introduced. And we often think to ourselves, death is the worst punishment, isn't it? Just such a horrible thing. Have you ever considered what it would be like to live for all eternity with the problem of sin in your life? 
with the corruptness that you know is there, I know is there, because it happens. We keep messing up. Why can't I just get this right? Why can't I stop doing the things that I know to be wrong? Why do I always do that? Because we can't cure ourselves. And God says, you can't live forever like that. I'm going to do something about that. And so sickness and death get introduced into the story. And whatever you believe about this story, it's telling us that the world we live in and the people that live in it need salvation from this state, this messed up existence. So in order for diseases and sickness and death to be permanently eradicated, the world we live in now needs to be recreated, right? We need to remove the potential for all the things that can kill us. Only God can do that. And would it surprise you to know that that's always been his plan right from the very beginning to rework things so that there is no more sickness or sadness or death? This story of Eden carries all the way through to the New Testament part of the Bible, to Jesus, who came to finally bring about a solution to this problem that we have. This problem that caused death in the first place. This sin problem that broke our relationship with God and meant that we couldn't live in that state forever. Because he loved us too much to leave us the way we are. To leave us messing things up. And so Jesus enters into the world to once and for all deal with this problem. This problem of sin and death. Does that mean that because he came, all sickness and death is immediately healed? No, because it's a big picture plan, right? It's not done yet. But he came to do something about it. See, before death can be eradicated, we need to be delivered from the sin that necessitated death in the first place. Now, Paul, who was a New Testament uh, teacher, uh, somebody who converted to Christianity from Judaism. He, he founded churches all over the place. He's, he's kind of a heavyweight in the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And one of them, the, the book of Romans to Christians in Rome, that's why it's called Romans. He writes this. This is what he says about this expectation that he has about a new creation, a change to the way things are. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. I like that metaphor, the idea of childbirth, because it's incredibly painful. But then a child gets born and we forget all about that, don't we? Because everything is suddenly so much better. This is the picture that he has about the world that we live in and the problems that we face. It's painful now, but it's going to get better. It's going to be spectacular. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You see, he puts those two ideas together, our relationship with God being restored. And because of that, our bodies being restored, healing come to us once and for all because we are restored and there is no longer a need for death. Because we are right with God. And he says, for in this hope, we are saved. He's saying that God's plan of salvation begins with salvation from sin. And guess what? That's what Jesus preached. That's why Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. He wanted people to get right with God and to look forward with hope to a kingdom where we would not experience that kind of suffering. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he saw a vision of what that kingdom would look like. In the book of Revelation, we read this picture, this vision, this revelation that was given to him of what that might look like. And he says in Revelation 21, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. By the way, that's just like it was in the Garden of Eden, right? His dwelling place is among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the kingdom of God. That Jesus preached about. This is the hope that he wanted people to have. That one day not only could you be cured now. But there will be no more suffering at all. And the way to enter into that kingdom. Is to get right with God. To have your sins forgiven. And guess what? I came to do just that. That was his message. That was his mission. To restore us to God. He said to the Pharisees who questioned him, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why he preached about sin. Because we have a bigger problem than the diseases that we face. We have a problem called death that is caused by sin. And he wanted to deal with it once and for all. And because the forgiveness of sins is key to our right relationship with God, this is what he came to preach about. It was essential for him to preach that hope of this new kingdom. Now, the Bible contains many stories of miraculous healing, but it also contains stories of people who have had to suffer with an illness for a long time and not be healed. It also contains the story of Jesus who suffers and dies. Why? Because although Jesus came and did miracles, miracles are not the salvation that God was doing in and of themselves. They're like a signpost that points to something greater, that points to the God who can do anything and says, are you in a right relationship with that God? You see, you may have experienced a miracle, and I hope you have, and I hope it was spectacular, but that miracle was not meant to just make you better. It was meant to tell you who God is. It was meant to show you that God loves you, that God would do anything to save you, and that a relationship with God is possible. He has heard your prayer, and he has done something for you because he's interested in a relationship with you. And the way to enter into that relationship, according to Jesus, is to ask him for forgiveness of your sins and to try to follow him as Lord of your life because he has paid the cost of your sins on a cross. That's what Jesus came to do. So that you might be free from alienation from God. That's how much he loves you. That he would even pay the price for your sin. The the price that leads to death. He died himself alongside us. So that we might know that death is not the end. He rose from the grave to show us that there is healing beyond even death itself. That God can do anything and he wants to do it for you. Miracles point to something far more important than the thing that happens in that moment. God didn't just heal this man physically and then send him out into the world to go and die with no hope. He forgave his sins first so that he would have a hope that even if he died, the grave would not separate him from God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death. 
That's a miracle, isn't it? That's a miracle. That's the biggest miracle that's happening in this story. The real miracle is that salvation from sin is possible because God himself paid the price for you. And he will forgive your sins as bad as they may be if you just believe he'll do it because he's good. If you just ask him, he will remove that. And he will give you the hope that nothing for the rest of your life and beyond will ever separate you from him again because Jesus has done enough. That's what salvation looks like. That's what true healing looks like. Knowing that even death can't stop you. Maybe you're facing a really horrendous situation right now. I don't in any way mean to make light of that. Maybe all you want from God right now is healing. And I understand that. And the great thing about this story is that it reminds us healing is still possible. God can do anything. It's absolutely fine for you to pray and ask in faith that God would heal your friend or heal yourself. And I would encourage you to do that with all your heart, believing God can do it because people have seen it. They have witnessed it for thousands of years. They have written down stories. They have told us about what Jesus did in Capernaum because nothing is impossible. But hear this. There is something even better that I believe God wants you to put, in, put your hope in him for. Because a healing, a one-time healing of a disease is not big enough for what God has done for you. He wants more for you than that. He wants you to have the hope that even if you were to get sick and die, that would not separate you from God. He wants you to have the hope that even though you know you sometimes mess up, he will forgive you and he will change you and he will transform you and you will be with him forever. Because that's always been his plan and his hope and his desire for you. In a kingdom where there is no more suffering and no mourning and pain and death. Because he's going to deal with it once and for all. That's the hope that we look forward to. And that gets us through the hard times. And that's the news I want to share with you today. It's called the good news in the Bible. It's the good news of Jesus and what he came to do. God's primary concern for you. And for all creation is to be set free from sin and the death that necessitates us to not be stuck in that state forever. The hope of being saved from our sins is a much bigger hope than just healing. And maybe today it is time for you to place your hope in Jesus to do more than you ever imagined he would for you. Maybe you've had a miracle that you've wanted from God for a long time. But maybe today is the first day you realize there's something even bigger he wants for you. If that's you today, I want to invite you to pray with me and to ask God to forgive your sins and to bring you into a relationship with God so that you can enjoy the hope that he gives, that nothing else in all creation can offer you. Let's, let's pray for that now if that's you. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus and for the incredible message that he has that we can be reconciled to you that he has come to pay for our sins, that we might be forgiven and given the hope of an eternal life with you, where there is no more crying or mourning or pain. And help that hope to fill us with a sense of your love and your presence in the everyday. Help it to change us and transform us. Move by your spirit to help us to follow you, even if that means to follow you through suffering. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you do have a real need for healing. I'm going to pray for that too. I'm going to believe God can do something today. If he doesn't, 
It's because he has something better lined up for you. But who knows what would happen if we ask God. So if you want to pray for somebody in your heart or you want to pray for yourself, I'm going to pray for you now and pray that God would do miraculous things for you. Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus came, that we might have life and have it in all its fullness. And for some people in that city of Capernaum, that happened right then and there. They saw physical healing. I want to pray the same thing here today. For anyone who is sick, that your healing hand would be upon them. For anyone who is praying for someone who is sick, that your healing hand would be upon that person. That you would do something miraculous not because that miracle is the greatest thing you could do but because it points to who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus and I want to pray believing you can do that and that for somebody here today or many people here today you might just do that because Jesus did it and we know it's possible and so we ask for it for anybody who doesn't experience that would you give them the miracle of faith to believe you have something even greater something even more wonderful that you love them beyond all comprehension. And would that miracle heal them and their fears today as well? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.